Hello everybody, Jeff Watts here. This episode, episode 111 of the Agile Pubcast. Paul and I get together in our virtual pubs once again. We're still in lockdown. This time we were discussing a recent conversation we had when we invited the product owner guy, Roman Pickler, onto our prestigious Pints series. We got talking about how the product owner role has evolved, how Roman got involved in the product owner space, whether product owners should come on to your retrospectives, building empathy with the team and the product owner and our users, and many, many other things. If you're interested in listening to the whole episode, then get on over to patreon.com forward slash the Agile Pubcast and our full point members get access to the full conversation with Roman plus the video episode of this and all of our other Pubcast episodes. Other than that, grab yourself a drink, settle in and enjoy the chat. Cheers. There we go. You having a wee? <laughs> oh, is my mic still on? No, it's that something, something funny. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the loo, Jeff. Come out the toilet, quick. Oh, oh no, schoolboy error. <laughs> Left the mic on while I went to the... I'm at the bar. What do you want to drink? It's my, my round this time. What are you, what are you drinking? Uh, can I get a pint of the sound and the fury, please? Oh, yeah, they've got that on tap, actually. Let me let me just pour you one. You do your trousers up and I'll, uh, I'll pour you a drink. There you go, sir. Ooh. It's a sort of boxing analogy, I think. Anything to do with Tyson Fury, or just is that more just a coincidence? No, I don't think so. Um, <clears throat> it's a, it's a, it's a like a face-off mashup type thing. So it's a incognito versus Falcon. I think they're two different types of IPA or mm. ingredients or something. Mm. And they've mishmashed them together to make this. What is it? Um, kind of look for how strong it is now. And I can't. Why can't I see? Oh god! Now I'm worried. Six point two percent. Okay. How's the How's the taste? Oh, I'm just finishing pouring up. That's slightly cloudy. It is quite cloudy. Yeah. Yeah. You so sure you didn't just come? Easy just come, thing is the term they prefer. You sure you didn't just come from the toilet with that? Oof. It does look a bit, dare I say it, we like. I think you need to see a doctor. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, it's it's quite similar to a lot of the ones that I've had recently, actually. Um, sort of citrusy, pineapple-ish, fruity, hazy. Yeah, a little bit of a tang, but not too sharp. Nice, nice. Very good. Hides its hides its strength. I well, that's always a dangerous thing, isn't it? For me, certainly creeps up on you. I've got. Um, I went to Sainsbury's this week. It was my turn to go to do Big Shop. Hmm. So I've come back with. Um, if you can see that, uh, it's Henny's. Henny's dry cider. Who's Henny's? Um, Is that a dog called Henny? Hen- no, Henny with a huh. Oh. Henny with a huh. Yeah, um, I picked it up because it said Froome Valley. Now Froome is in Somerset near me, but then I've now read the label better, um, and it's actually in Herefordshire, uh, which is nowhere near me. But um, it's a, a Henny's Dry Cider. So there's two Frooms, is there? Is that, is that what you're saying? Well, I think yeah, there's a Froome in, in North Somerset, which is whoops, which is near me, um, but this is a different Froome. 
Froome Valley, I suppose it's different. So this is this is a dry cider. Now th I have to explain. You you can see this, but the viewers, the listen listeners can't. That that bottle that I've just emptied it was already half empty. Now I'm not suggesting here I'd already drunk that, because I'm actually cooking with the other half of the bottle. Okay. So um, I've got half a half a bottle left, which I'll try now. What are you cooking? Um, gammon, gammon in cider today. Slow yeah. cooking the slow cooker, Jeff. Bit of honey, bit of cider, uh -huh. salt and pepper. Thank you. And how is it? Ugly. Yeah, it's a bit tastes a bit dirty, a bit yeah. uh, earthy. I suppose is a better better word than dirty. But um, you sort of yeah. rolled up your top lip there as you scrunched your nose up a bit. Yeah, it's got kind of a bit of a rough aftertaste. Um, but but it's fizz certainly very fizzy, very very quite um, quite clear, you know, quite crisp. But, mm. but got a bit of a bitter aftertaste. Well, good to see. You. I was about to ask you whether that's a new jumper, but I actually know the story behind that, so I don't. I don't need. To. It's not a new jumper, is it? No, it's not. What do you mean? There's a story behind my jumper? <laughs> Just I haven't seen you wear that jumper before, but it's not new because you found it recently. I have. Yes, I went. I had a uh, a clothes purge. Um, so I've, yeah, lockdown's obviously getting to me. Um, I'm going through all my cupboards and drawers, and I've lit. I've I've recycled. Um, I didn't sell. I gave to chat. Gave to charity. Um, uh, three bags of clothes that I've probably accumulated over fifteen years, um, mm. and I've had a. I've uncovered clothes that I never knew or forgotten I had. Mm. So I'm currently, um, yeah, having a revival of my um, my wardrobe from old stuff. I have bought some new stuff. I've treated myself. Been working hard, so I thought I'd treat myself to some new clothes. But I have also revitalized some of my older stuff. Oh, very good. Bring it back into fashion. Or not, as, as my wife would say. Well, it was good to see you. It wasn't, it wasn't fashionable the first time around. Try again. No, exactly. Keep trying yeah. it until one day it comes. Everything comes back into style, so they say. Eventually, maybe. Yeah. <clears throat> good. Good to see you. Yeah, and you, mate. So we're, we're we're here to talk about our little chat with Roman. Roman, yeah. It's nice to see him again. Feels like a long time since we did see him, but um, obviously not. We weren't um, physically face to face, but we were. Uh, over a Zoom call, which was nice. Nice to check in with him. He's and, got a uh, very similar setup to me. Sorry? He's got a very similar setup to me. He's in got what, a, what do you mean? office sort of shared thing in the garden. Yes, yes. Um, and yeah, he seems like he's very much set up for kind of home teaching, home learning, and, um, you know, working remotely. He seems. Mm. To, I think, like you, you mentioned on the, um, when we spoke to him, I think... He'd made some of those transitions to more remote working a while back. I think he tried to cut down his travel um, a long time before we we had to. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's um, it's not. We we spoke to the the we we called it, you called him the product owner guy, didn't we? Yeah. Well, that's that's how I think that's how he's known. Yeah, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't like it. I don't know. Not really sure. We did we did put it to him, didn't we? We did, and he kind of, yeah, he was a little bit shy, wasn't he? A little bit um, uh, sheepish, that's the word, a bit sheepish about it. But no, I think it, I think when people do ask ask us or ask me for what would you read or what would you, where would you go for more product owner knowledge and resources, yeah, I generally point them to Roman. 
Well, yeah, so I think that's it. I think if you ask anyone in the agile space to name someone as an authority on product owners, product managers, then that Roman would be one of the names that came out very, very quickly. Mm. And um, we asked him how he got into it, whether that was always his aim, whether he was always interested in product management, whether that was um, you know, his goal or whether it just sort of emerged and evolved. We did. Let's play the clip. I think it's been an area of interest for me for a long time, but um, there were several developments really that led me down that path. Um, one was um, starting up my own business and um, having to take care of the, the services and, and products and thinking about them more. So, you know, that sort of really um, kind of caused me to, to start practicing product management properly. Um, yeah, so um, I suppose we've, yeah, this it's not surprising, is it, when you when you do become self-employed, when you, because I think I knew him, um, first of all, when I think he must have been still working at Siemens, mm. and that's where he started. Well, that's where um, I met him, um, not at Siemens, but while he was working there. Um, but I think certainly making the leap to, and we probably suffered the, you know, the same thing and, and done the same thing, that you do have to take much more ownership of your own products. You know, you'll set you... I, we are a product in ourselves, I suppose, and we are selling ourselves, aren't we? So, um, not in that way, but uh, yeah, I think there's yeah. definitely an element of branding, development, messaging, all that. And he's he has, I think, of all the people that that I've known over the last fifteen years, that he's one of the the handful that I would say that has successfully created his own brand and, and image and niche. Uh, very successful which if you're you know looking for some advice on product leadership then it's nice to know that he can do it himself yeah yes, <laughs> so. it's very true yes very much um walking the talk um and yeah i think and there's some he's got quite a following i think um certainly on twitter i know that you put a tweet out there uh, recently about saying that we've spoken to roman and not that, not the first person that commented that tweeted back said, "Roman has the best left laugh in agile." Sorry, the Roman has the best laugh in agile, and I think he does. He has um, got a good laugh. Not not the first time that um, so that someone tweeted that response to your tweet, but someone's also sp spoken to me and said, "Well, he's got a great laugh, Roman. He's got a great laugh. It's a, a, a playful laugh." Yeah, but he's a, he's a lovely guy, and he's um, yeah, he's he has kind of carved out that um, that niche in the market for, for himself. And he's been he's been that he has been that voice of product ownership probably before it became you know more mainstream from a scrum alliance or from, from a scrum point of view he was certainly um shouting about the importance of product leadership and product ownership ownership a, a long time before now yeah so a lot of the a lot of the instigators were from the software space not necessarily from the product space mm. and there was a very big divorce between it and the business and so, you know, we, a lot of us have been trying to bridge that gap, bring bring all these parties together. Roman's been pulling and pushing from <clears throat> other parts of the organisation. So it's been quite a useful, and when we've worked together in the past, it's been quite a useful combination, if you like. Um, and it's interesting to see how you know, he's uh, he's changed his emphasis over the years. Um, and I think you know, this this came through for him when we were asking him about you know, his, his evolution, his emergence and how the last I'd say if you're really breaking it down the first five years of, of Roman Piccolo was very much around tools, techniques, practices, roadmaps 
that kind of thing, vision boards. Yeah. Um, the last five years have been very much on the soft skills, the leadership, the self-management, the, the stakeholder management, negotiation, yeah. emotional intelligence things. Yeah, and uh, he, let's have, play a little clip. He, he gave you quite a nice summary of that. Hang on a minute. I mean, when I first um, looked at product management and started working with product people, it was really all about uh, the the hard skills and, in a way, that the the core practices and initially also more, you know, tactical practices and development related practices. I remember, um, literally, nearly twenty years ago, sitting down with um, one of the lead the, the lead product manager and um, looking through use cases, you know, piles of use cases that she'd written and talking to her about the, the need to prioritize them so that, you know, we could run some iterations. You know, I, I initially, I focused a lot on, on, on these um, hard skills, um, but I think over the years, I learned that while the hard skills are important and, and that expertise is extremely valuable for product people, without a doubt, the, the people skills, the soft skills are, are, are just as important. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's, it has changed and the product owner i think is a lot more of a um and i think i mentioned this on the call i see it as a lot more of a collaborator rather than a customer uh, in that scrum team setup i think i think that's that was um an honest mistake looking back in hindsight from an agile manifesto perspective and even xp talking about customers mm. um Especially when you know a lot of a lot of organisations were using agile internally and thinking about internal customers and that that split of power almost when you you think of the word customer you think the customer's always right that mm. customer satisfaction the, these kinds of terms kind of put the people who build the products on a lower level than the people who are buying them yeah Do yeah it's had an impact I think so. Um, and certainly product owners yeah I mean the term product owner is a better one uh, in my opinion than, than customers anyway but trying to represent um, and see even business people you know, on the same footing as because uh, developers engineers are in effect still business people we're still working for a business we're still trying to build products together and I think that has changed I, th I know I meet a lot more product owners now that are much more um, um, embedded within teams and certainly uh, feel um, like they're working with with colleagues and peers rather than you know, um, suppliers I think that's and I think that's gone the right way in many respects it's created a better relationship so here there's always been a bit of a debate and we didn't actually cover this when we spoke to him, but there's always been a bit of a debate between product owner and product manager. And for me, regardless of whether the product manager has baggage before the, the term product owner came along, which I think it does, regardless of that, I think just the words manager and owner have a massive, massive impact on the dynamics within a team. Mm. Uh, and there's no getting away from the fact that a product owner was intended to have some management responsibilities, not necessarily line management, but some management responsibilities. Um, but having that almost overlap of terms, I think, has been quite problematic for a lot of teams. Mm. We talked um, a little bit about empowerment. This, this, mm. um, 
this it's linked to what you're saying there about the right pr product person in the right role and being supported by that organization to do to do the job fully so let's just play and, and roman um, spoke quite a lot about this so we'll just play a little clip and often product owners product people aren't adequately empowered they don't really have the authority to make the necessary decisions and, and stand up to senior stakeholders including you know the managing directors and and say no and push back mm. so this was particular reference to um kind of how you know where did the, where does the product owner sit within an organization and how comfortable should they feel to push back and i still see this now that um very good product owners very knowledgeable very driven product owners still feel to a degree um they can't challenge further up the organization and they, they don't have full autonomy to do those roles as they would want to do them and to drive the product in the mm. direction that they feel it should go well, I, I, and this harks back to the days when you were, you and Roman were teaching together. The, the one of the whole big points that I know Ken was trying to make with regards to language was that this language should be provocative in a way. It should be almost almost a test case, you know. So, if, for example, like you're saying there, and Roman was saying that these product owners they don't have the power they don't have the empowerment they don't have the autonomy then they sit you can't realistically with, with with integrity call them an owner of a product no at best they're a custodian mm. you know, uh, a babysitter rather than, than an owner if you're going to own something you have to have ownership of it mm. uh, and so that that should if you're calling somebody an owner and they don't have ownership that should be really really visible as a, as a conflict mm. A flag but it wasn't just about empowering them although I think that's probably the one thing from my in my opinion that that has almost been secondary in a way but it, I guess that depends on where you're coming from but the, the first big effort was to try and help product owners get the development teams to feel more empowered mm get them involved, get them building some empathy for their users, their customers, getting them involved in, in contributing towards the solutions if emerging rather than just saying, okay, give me the requirement. Um, and I was having a little bit of a debate with someone about this this week, actually, uh, you know, saying, well, people, it's all very well saying you know, you're going to empower people, but what if you give them the opportunity and they don't step up? Mm. And a lot of times you do that and they just don't want the empowerment. Now, it's, it's a conversation that I've had many times and it's not necessarily something that I think you can really comprehensively prove one way or the other but there's a lot of a lot of evidence that from my experience where actually it's not that they don't like the empowerment it's the fact that they don't feel safe with the empowerment they don't mm. feel that actually they've got a chance of success and that the consequences of failure are not catastrophic mm. so it's a risk reward mm. really for these people if I don't take this opportunity, if I don't take this empowerment on, I kind of got some safety. Yeah, it yeah, it reminds me, you've reminded me of a, this was a class I was teaching a couple of weeks back. And let's say you know, eight, seven, eight people on the call, we were all talking about the senior leadership. They were, so they're very much kind of scrum teams. There were some product owners in the room um, talking about um, the directors of the company um, and it's amazing what 
everyone was just assuming that oh well, we can't we, we can't say that or or the response was well they'll push back on that mm. or um, they won't accept that or they'll need to see this and when I asked the question somewhat deliberately saying has anyone actually checked that checked in you know asks that question and they went no not really um, but they were all to a degree um, quite frightened to actually approach them about something that they didn't perhaps didn't they'd already assume what the answer would be or they yeah. assumed their personality would would dictate how they would react and how, how they would and it was just it was mo the most junior person in the, in the room she'd only been in the company a couple of weeks she said i'll, I'll have a chat with them <laughs> and she said well she that's was, yeah that, I'll, I'll that is quite that's quite beautiful but also in a way not but not very surprising at all because no. i think we had I can't remember when, it might have been before Christmas, we had a bit of a conversation about the topic of learned helplessness, didn't we? Yeah. This idea that you, know, you can very easily forget what's caused you to, to be so cynical or so scared. Uh, and you just sort of accept limiting yeah. beliefs about what's possible for you, for your organisation. And it might take someone completely brand new to say, oh, a minute, I think, you know, I've seen this work elsewhere and I don't have the same baggage that you guys have so mm. I'm just gonna do it <laughs> and as long as they do it before the culture gets them down yeah then great things can happen yeah you've got that energy haven't you absolutely um, you mentioned about empathy and I know Roman had something to say about uh, empathy particularly mm. with them um, between product owners and development teams let's, let's hear that it is it is it is tough though for, for product owners you know and sort of striking that balance between building a close and trustful connection with the development team members but at the same time also engaging with the the stakeholders the key stakeholders i think this was in particular reference to um some of my questions around um whether we see uh, development teams as stakeholders and um people you know they're they're expecting the product a, a transactional relationship between the product owner and the development team so yeah tell me what you want and I'll, and I'll deliver it tell me what you want and i'll deliver it or do we see them as much more um colleagues um stakeholders sounding boards for the feasibility of our ideas or do we just want the, the developers to accept what product owners have, have given and i'd like to think i very much come from the 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 train of thought now that i think there's some really creative really talented really passionate um, engineering teams and development teams that I've worked with that have got some really great ideas that I'd like the, to think there's a, a humility to a product owner's role that will accept and yeah you're not maybe not well let, let's say listen not, not necessarily accept all those ideas but certainly um, give the development team um, an opportunity to, to sound some ideas and some, some suggestions to the product backlog well, this is where it all harks back to Roman's point around soft skills being more important mm. because it's a lot more difficult for someone to, having listened to somebody's idea, say, thanks but no, mm. than say, we haven't got time for any more ideas or this is the most important stuff we know. So you're, you're listening to them, you're building a relationship, they're sort of putting their trust in you with their idea. And there's a little bit of them that wants you to take it on because that's validation of their idea and validation of them. And so you're kind of shooting them down as a product owner if you're not going to take it on, which is a lot harder to do without losing that relationship. Mm. You still want them to bring ideas in the future or an idea that's only half formed and it needs to be iterated upon, it needs to be worked with. Mm. Um, and that, that's 
where I think a lot of product owners, maybe unconsciously, don't want to get into those kinds of conversations. Perhaps they don't want that level of empathy because then it's harder to take the more difficult decisions. Mm. Maybe. I do think um, there's a there's an interesting relationship. Some development teams that I spoke to very much. We talked about certainty before, but we like the idea of of certainty and even if the, the product owner doesn't have the certainty just give us some certainty in what we should do next mm. give us some um, some guidance and this is what Roman was um, alluding to very about the difference between uh, well the the additional burden of, of leadership let's got a quick clip on this product owners should should offer some leadership uh, in the product space and I would certainly agree with that um, um, you know, I do think it's important that product owners have an opinion about where to take their product. And I do think it's important that product owners articulate this opinion to the development team and to the stakeholders. But I also believe that it's equally important to, uh, you know, take take the opinions, hold the opinions lightly and and not forget to cultivate an open mind. So it's, it's sort of that balance, right? Yeah, holding those opinions lightly, that's a, a, a good phrase. Mm. What's it? What's it? You say, listen, um, um, talk, and argue as if you're right, but listen as if you're wrong. Is that, have I yeah. got that right? Have I, have yeah. I mixed the words up? Yeah, you know, uh, and whether that applies between a development team and a product owner, I'm not sure because I think the level of safety is is different. And you're you're, you're much more of an expert on this than me with re, with regards to status levels. But <clears throat> you know, the development team should be very much on an even keel, if you like. There's mm. some differences in terms of experience and respect and longevity and whatever. But there is a level of well, responsibility for the product. Somebody was saying yesterday, I can't remember who it was, I was in a conversation with, I think it was in um, like a big social chat, like Clubhouse or something. Mm -hmm. um, and this, someone was making this point that, you know, it's all very well for a development team to be empowered with Agile. But at the end of the day, it's the product owner who's who's going to be remembered for whether this product is a success or not. That product is going to go on that product owner's CV. Mm. Those developers, they can go and find another job somewhere else. No one's going to remember the products they were on. And it did did smell a little bit of bad experience. Mm. It did smell a little bit of almost um, bitterness. But there is an element of truth there from a status responsibility accountability perspective. If I'm a product owner and I'm being held responsible for the ultimate success of this product, and my development team can, yeah. can come or go. Ooh. I think that's also um, probably centered around the, the, the shit, the, the, usually the numbers involved, right? So this, in many cases, um, the product owner sound is a very singular role. Yes, in truth, there may be situations where uh, multiple stakeholders are, 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 are helping that product ownership decision, but inevitably. Where did that phrase "single ringable net" come from? Where, where was I it? I thought I heard it was Yahoo. I don't know whether yeah. that was a, a, a um, an urban myth that somebody working at Yahoo. It was a phrase that Yahoo were throwing around in terms of that's what product managers should be. I don't know if it was true or not, but um, I, I was quoted Yahoo, maybe falsely, but um, maybe someone can tweet it and tell us if I'm wrong. But um, I think there is an element there of your your neck is further out. You're, you're sticking your neck further out than, than in a development team. There's a safety in numbers, isn't there? The yeah. fact that potentially 
can I say that I did that? Mm, I did some of it, but I didn't do all of it. Mm. So yeah, there's a, and I think that's, but that's, I've seen that change in teams. I've seen teams that have, have, have scrum masters to, be, to, to their dues that have actually worked on that hard to try and instill not just a definition of done, but a definition of pride. You should, you should be able to create this product as if you're willing to put your name on it. Mm. Um, and as one team that said, we should be able to ring our parents and, 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 or, and, and put my parents' phone number so, so someone can ring up my mum or dad and, t- and ask them, <laughs> I'd be that proud they could yeah. talk to my parents about it. And I think that's, rather than just being done, I mentioned this a while back on a blog, blog post, but not just being done, but being proud of what we've done, I think is a different way to, to look at it in terms of how developers need to, I feel, need to have more of a stake in the product. Yeah. I, I, think, I think the product owners that I've worked with anyway, they can, they can tell. They don't necessarily need, I don't think you were suggesting actually having something written out as a definition of proud, but... No. They, they can they can sense when the team does have that sense of pride in what yeah. they're doing um, and and they care even if their neck isn't on the line they almost act as if it was mm. and again bringing this back to that empathy word you know, the more empathy that we have for one another the more that we actually care about the people as much as the product so yes I want the product to be successful but I also want my product owner to be successful because I have empathy for them. I, yeah. I care for them, and my product owner wants me to be successful. Now, the danger with that for some people is that it becomes too, it becomes too personal, and you risk a bad project ruining friendships. Yeah. And yeah, you know, there's a very strong argument that work isn't about friendships. Work is about getting stuff done. Right. But mm. I think it's a very blurred line. I think it can have. People have memories for for those things, don't they? We tend to remember our negative experiences more than we do our, our positive ones. So there's there is a danger of that. I, I agree that um, people take it too personally. Um, bringing it back up to to present day, one thing we did talk about, uh, which unsurprisingly came up, was the whole um, COVID mm. situation. Uh, we, but and we we kind of quizzed uh, Roman a little bit on how he's seen product owners um, evolve their working practices and, and coping with perhaps more remote working. So you've got a little bit of a, um, some, uh, some of his thoughts on this. Let me play this one. You know, I think there's been a massive shift anyway in the last five to 10 years uh, away from qualitative to quantitative, ultimately market and user research and um, more and more product people using more and more powerful analytics tools for various reasons. One is because it's easier and it's uh, it's quicker and it's way cheaper. We just then have to be careful not to be too biased when we look at the data and interpret it. I think he was saying that this is tooling, which unsurprisingly for, for many teams now is becoming more important um, when you can't connect face to face with people. And he does raise a very good point. I'd never really thought about this, that um, you can have better tools, cheaper tools, more data. And data is great. Data is our friend. It allows us to make informed decisions. Um, But it can't be used in isolation. And Mm. that was a very valid point that I think um, even during these times, we can still um, have the opportunity to meet even virtually with customers and I think he put it quite well. He said, you, you might be able to, the data might tell you what's happening, but not necessarily why it's happening. Mm-hmm. And it's harder to tap into perhaps the psyche of, of users and um, and why they might, their behaviors, it's harder to read behaviors through through data. And I think that's a valid point. Yeah. Yeah. 
there's, there's always been a trade-off for product owners getting that balance but I think, yeah, what you were saying there is even more spotlight on the temptation to go for the, the quicker the, 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 the sort of more indirect the more you know, distant kind of engagement with yeah. customers and development teams as well yeah it's a little bit harder now to to, to, to have those informal conversations that we had before so yeah it's, 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 it's a challenge <clears throat> I think um, it was yeah it was it was quite candid about how how product ownership has changed but um he was also quite um as as the interview went on he uh we we got a bit closer to um understanding a bit more about roman and and maybe the the side of roman that people don't know and mm. we've um we've got a, obviously the full interview is is a full hour i think it's just just under an hour uh, which obviously if you're on patreon you'll be able to see that full interview but it was quite nice towards the end of the interview um Roman started. To, he, he talked about his um, his choices, his decisions in terms of becoming so close to product ownership, and he he talked quite candidly, didn't he, about about his um, how he he might be perceived in, in the in the community, which I thought was quite you know a, quite a nice um, poignant moment in that interview. What, did you did you notice that? Yeah, it kind of, it kind I of did. slowed down a bit. I think at that point. yeah, but in a good way. I mean, it's, it's nice, you know, we've been able to, three of us and others have you know, gone through similar kind of journeys um, and had similar kind of challenges and, and, and the like. And it's it's seeing where, where he is right now. It's, yeah, interesting. Mm. And it's a bit of a, a double-edged sword in many ways for him, I think. You know, he, he obviously loves his job. He's, he was really quite clear and passionate about that um, still. Which, um, which is, which is, and you can understand why. Understand and why. I'm sure, as um, as you do as well, and that you, as your following grows, you do send, feel a much more of a sense of responsibility, um, and probably much more. And he said this more careful about what you say and and how you say it. And um, that must be quite, I imagine, quite difficult, and quite quite challenging. It's to to have to think more to because I suppose ten. Certainly, um, my thinking is around this 10, 15 years ago. You can shoot from the hip a bit more and you can be a bit more um, uh, controversial, uh, provocative. Well, you've used um, the analogy of us as products. Yeah. You know, 10, 15 years ago, we were in our startups. We were mm. just these cheeky startups, new, new kids on the block. Nothing really to lose, no reputation. Yeah. Didn't have to worry about upsetting the status quo. In fact, that's what we were there for, you know, mm. causing a bit of fuss. Mm. Um, but in many ways, you know, Roman and and the like are now the establishment, um, and so there's there's people who are, you know, challenging that unless he unless he stays, keeping himself relevant, if you like, mm. and he's done a great job of doing that. But that he's now got a lot of reputation to lose, and those products, you know, you think of back to, it's probably very uh, not 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 ones for our younger listeners, but you know, Gerald Ratner undid his empire in 15 minutes didn't he mm. and built it up over 20 years and then did it in 15 minutes with one mm. speech mm. and I think you know, products brand reputation can easily be tarnished uh, and I think I, I, I'm putting my experience onto his now but thinking you know, engagement in things like social media where it's very easy to, to get drawn into things get 
um, misinterpreted, sometimes yeah. deliberately, sometimes not. And uh, that's um, that's it's a pressure. It's a pressure. Yeah, very true. Very true. Well, it's funny. I mean, when you talk about you know where where we are now, where he is now, and um, there is there is that that risk of, of failure, perhaps consciously, subconsciously. I think he hinted at. And you know, we actually started the conversation by talking about how product owners need to be comfortable with failure in order to innovate. Otherwise, we just stick with small changes. Mm. Yeah, let's let's uh, we had a clip from Roman Let's play the clip. Do something, try and do something that is that is truly innovative, that is truly new. I think it's generally much easier if you do something um, similar to what's out there already, something similar to what the competitors are doing. Um, I think whenever we, we we try and innovate, there's a risk of, of failure. There's a risk that things don't work out. And some people are more comfortable with uh, failure, and um, some people are less. I would say that that for a product and for a person mm. with a reputation, a brand, I think that that fear just grows as as time get, goes. And yeah, his as you're hinting at there, his following has grown, his reputation has grown. Mm. More to lose. And certainly, yeah, that that first step he took, he was the first, the first scrum trainer, um, and he was. Well, I was number, I think I number like thirty four, in the scrum trainer membership list, and he he was probably thirty three, if he, he if he had this piece of paper signed just before mine. <laughs> we, but, but Roman and I, the story is that Roman and I both became scrum trainers on the same day. Um, with, with Ken Schwaber back in 2006 but um, he was the first scrum trainer um, to step into that fully into that product owned space which which of course was a was a risk you know and, and was a was an ex- experiment um, but he did put himself out there and I think yeah absolutely the as you and he mentioned this interview the more you get you open yourself up to those little experiments mistakes Oh, that didn't quite work. That didn't quite work. I think you become more comfortable with it. I think that might help you innovate more as you as you grow, as you as you grow as a product owner as well. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Good to catch up. Always good to provoke our thinking. Yeah, it's good. Very good. Um, if any of you are interested in listening to the full episode, you can uh, find it online at patreon.com forward slash the Agile Podcast. Have a look at. Uh, the membership options there but yeah our, our full pipe members will get full access uh, to the video um, interview with myself jeff and roman uh, and you can find that online also the video of this episode as well and all yes, the other video of many episodes but nice you- i'm uh, i'm out it's my round so uh last orders at the bar cheers mate cheers see you soon everyone bye-bye